0: keep my mouth shut. Well, he didn't always say it. I think he said it once. (laughs) He was never a talker, even before we were married. He'd clam up at parties, dinners. He knew I hated him being so quiet. I'd say to him, Ed, at least look like you're talking to me. (laughs) So he tried. Whenever he didn't have anything to say, he'd turn to me and start to mutter, Mary had a little lamb. (laughs) And I'd come back. His fleece was white as snow. (laughs) And everywhere that Mary went. You get the idea. People thought we had quite a rapport. (laughs) Well, Ed gave up smoking on Labor Day. He had his first heart attack on Halloween. His second on Thanksgiving, and he died just before Christmas. He loved the holidays. (laughs) When we brought him back to the funeral home, the undertaker's assistant asked me if there was anything else that he could do to make him look more natural. (laughs) Give him a goddamn cigarette. (laughs) Natural. He's dead wearing his bifocals and a hairpiece. What's going to help the illusion of reality here? (laughs) Debbie picked out his suit and tie, the pocket hanky, the cufflinks that were shaped like little bulldozers, the hairpiece. (laughs) He had a lot of them in the bathroom. All of his hair on these little white heads. (laughs) You could watch Ed age on those hands. (laughs) After the funeral, Debbie told me she'd slipped a pack of camels into her father's pocket before they closed the casket. Sort of as a symbol, like the Egyptians or the Vikings, carrying a talisman into the great beyond. (laughs) I never know what she's talking about. Debbie's back home in Wisconsin now with her second husband, the assistant provost, and her twins, and her unfinished novel. It's about a woman who lives in Wisconsin with her second husband, the assistant provost, and her twins. (laughs) I thought about calling her after the funeral when things started to happen, but she's listening to Prozac, and I don't want to interrupt. I can't remember where or when I met Ed. Tootie Bon would remember. Tootie's my best girlfriend and she remembers things like that, but I don't. All I remember was living at home with mother and daddy, and then there was Ed. He'd left his dad's grocery business and was going to build highways and roads and bridges. He had no money and no prospects, and Mother and Daddy did not approve. I had to sneak out of the house once to meet him. Mother and Daddy thought I'd gone with Tootie to see Martin and Louis and my friend Irma Goes West, but I'd gone out to Stone Road with Ed. When I got back, Tootie was in our living room with a guilty look on her face, and Daddy quizzed me about where I'd gone. I always know when I've done something wrong, I start to sweat on my, um, well, it's not polite to say it, uh, on my collarbone. (laughs) I flush. I get red there. Nobody can see it, but I can feel it. I lied, of course. Said I had so gone to the movies. Daddy said, prove it. So I made up an entire plot for my friend Irma Goes West. (laughs) The next night I went to see my friend Irma Goes West and was surprised to learn just how close I got. (laughs) I wasn't there when he died. Debbie wasn't either. No one was. 3 a.m. a week before Christmas. The nurses said he didn't make a sound when the aneurysm hit. Why didn't he cry out? I asked. Isn't it painful? "'Oh, yes,' they said, "'but what with the dementia that set in "'following his second cardiovascular infarction, "'your husband's responses "'had become neurologically inappropriate.' "'After the service, Mary Margaret Walsh "'said he was lucky to go that way. "'I guess. "'He recognized Debbie once toward the end, "'but he thought we were in Las Vegas. "'He thought I was his mother.' <laughs> One night, he saw a cow in the room standing behind me. Yeah, i tell her, I'd like to die in Las Vegas with my mother and a cow, too. (laughs) (laughs) The funeral was lots of people. Bob O'Clock from the bank, Dino Desperbio from Smith Trucking, Ed's brother Frank. Funerals make me tired. I don't know how the undertakers can do it. They prefer the title mortician, but that always sounds to me like death with air freshener. (laughs) (laughs) Undertaker is right. They undertake what we cannot bear. Mm -hmm. When did I meet Ed? Where did I meet my husband? (laughs) It was three days before I could get down to the office. The way the will is written, I'm President of Ed Carpalati, Inc. now. President? Debbie asked me over the phone if my first official act will be to recognize Cuba. (laughs) I laughed, like I know what the hell she's talking about. Ed's secretary, Joy, showed me the papers that our attorney said I needed to see. On paper, it looked like the construction business had been slow. Well, to tell the truth, the construction business had been bad the past year or so. But the files showed assets. We'd be fine. I said that to Joy. We'll be fine. And Joy just looked at me. I went to see our attorney the next day. I depend on Danny Spar, but it's hard to invest a whole lot of authority in the little boy who used to deliver your milk. <laughs> I go down to his office at the bank building. Bob O'Clock's bank, the same one where Ed's company did business. Bob smiles and waves at me behind the glass doors in the lobby makes a motion with his hand that either means give him a call or he wants me to stir his coffee with my finger and put it in his ear. (laughs) I wait back. Danny, oh, Daniel, excuse me, and I talk a while about Ed, about the funeral, about what a wheeler-dealer he was. Then Danny takes out a file marked Bank, Virginia. Did Ed... Did Ed ever ask you to sign anything over the last year? Any papers? Documents? Agreements? I can feel it as Danny Spar asked me that question. The heat begins to rise to my collarbone. I was always signing something or the other. Ed was such a one-man band wheeling and dealing. Danny's staring at me. It always said I couldn't keep my mouth shut. I told Tootie about the papers when I visited her and her new husband in Boca Raton last April. I tell Tootie everything. Could she have told... Virginia? Did you sign anything that looked, well, official? He delivered our milk. You can't lie to a blue-eyed boy who used to deliver your milk. I nod. He hands me the papers from the file business loans from Bobble Clark's Bank to Ed Carpalotti, Inc., secured with equipment, machinery, high boys, low boys, tractors, bulldozers, every asset of the company. Business loans signed personally, which means since Ed got me to sign the papers that I am personally responsible for these loans, totaling over. A half a million dollars. Danny tells me that Ed was behind in payments. Six months behind. The bank has frozen my assets. The CDs, the IRA, the savings and checking account. Frozen, explains Danny, is a euphemism. They're going to take the money. Unless I can find a way to pay these loans back within a week. On the way out of the building, I see Bob O'Clock through the glass doors again. His gray suit. His pinstripe hair. (laughs) What I do next, I have not done before in my life. I hurry out of the bank so that he will not see me. I turn my head. I run away. I go home to the house on Bray Barton. Still lots of flowers and food left over from the funeral. In the refrigerator. There's a casserole made entirely out of boiled apples, Spam, and noodles. Nobody knows who brought that. It's pretty scary, but Debbie says we should keep it until it learns to talk. I go into Ed's den where he spent most of his time at night on the phone talking with his foreman, Joy, other men. Sometimes he'd shut the door. I go into the sunroom where I live. There are three messages waiting for me on the answering machine that Debbie bought us to prove that she does call home on Sundays. (laughs) The first is from Tootie in Boca Raton, telling me that George Erskine died at his office at the Glass Factory, keeled over in the middle of a meeting with his auditor. He and Nancy were going to Hilton Head this Saturday. The second is from Debbie, telling me she's been invited to a writer's conference in Saskatchewan. For some reason, she has to pay for it herself. She even mentions the exact amount. And would I like to get away from town for a week and babysit the twins? The third is from a voice I don't know well. Jen, hey, this is Dino Desperbio. Like to talk to you, like to take you to lunch. Give me a call. I hate these fucking things. Well, that's what he said. I find his number in Ed's book and call him back. Mr. Disperbio, I'd love to go to lunch with you, but to tell you the truth, I'm just basically not up to it yet. There's a pause. Well, we have some business to discuss, Jen. Well, I'm free right now, Mr. Hey, not over the phone. I agreed to meet him the next day at the Green Mill Luncheonette. Everybody in town likes to do business at the Green Mill Luncheonette instead of in their offices. don't know what they do in their offices. <laughs> Eat lunch, I guess. When I go in, Dino Desperbio is waiting for me at a booth in the back. I wouldn't say Mr. Desperbio is fat, but... Almost anybody else would. <laughs> Sit down, Jen. I do. Jen, you look good. Are you wearing any federal wiretapping equipment? <laughs> now, this is the first time I have ever been asked that question. <laughs> but I think I handle it well. Oh, uh, no. No, I'm not. Not today, anyway. <laughs> Thank you. Jen, I'll get to the point. You know, your husband, Ed, he was a real wheeler-dealer. We had a lot of fun together. Lot of laughs. Drank a lot of cups of coffee. He cuts into a piece of peach pie. Ed ever ask you to sign any papers? (laughs) My collarbone has been on fire since I heard his voice on the phone the night before. See, Ed... He wanted to sell me half of a land bill he owned. I think he needed the money, Jim. And I told him, I said, Hey, Ed, I don't think I want to buy into a partnership, but I tell you what, I'll loan you some money at a good percentage. How much you need? And Ed told me, and i give it to him. How much did you give him, I asked? Half a million. Oh. And at what percentage? (laughs) Fifty. I am not a financier, but even I know that this is not a good rate. (laughs) Do you remember signing a piece of paper, Jen? I nod my head. Do you have the money, Jen? I shake my head. Well, what are we gonna do? Dino is the owner of Smith Trucking. They have no trucks, and there has never been a Mr. Smith. <laughs> I go home to the house on Ray Barton. I look at the answering machine. The red light says that I have four messages. The first is from Judy in Boca Raton, saying that Art Weiss was found dead in the drugstore he owned. The store has been closed by the police. His files have been sealed. The second is from Danny. He has to get back to Bob O'Clock. The third is from Bob O'Clock. Would I like to have lunch at the Green Mill? The fourth is from Debbie. She says her Mazda was in an accident. I assume that means that she was in an accident, but the way she phrases it, it sounds like the Mazda had a night off and got into trouble. The repairs will cost more than the insurance will pay. She even mentions the exact amount. (laughs) I have to call somebody, someone in the family who will help. I pick up the phone and dial Ed's brother, Frank. What's the problem, he says. Not over the phone, I say. The next night, I meet Frank up at the club in the grill room which we all call the coal room because of the coal wall the james family donated in 1959 debbie says it looks like something frank lloyd wright would have done if he'd spent too much time in appalachia <laughs> <laughs> who knows frank grins from a table in the back how you doing virginia fine i say and i'm not wearing wire <laughs> It's strange to look at Frank, seeing the parts of Ed in him, like he's a dream of Ed that's not quite right. (laughs) Frank's a developer. We talk about the property market, about his son Randy's pending marriage to one of the Wickham girls, which pleases Frank and his wife Lorraine to no end. Randy's being groomed to run the business, and he still lives at home. Debbie calls him Boo Radley without the charm. Ooh. <laughs> Over the shrimp cocktail, I start my speech. About Danny, about Bob Clark, about Dino. Finally, I stop, and Frank speaks. Virginia, you know Ed was a real wheeler dealer. <laughs> How much did he borrow? It's 300000 oh, Virginia. Fifty percent, I ask? Mm -hmm. Frank looks hurt. I was his brother, Virginia. I gave him 18 percent. And truth be told, I'm taking a beating. I explain to Frank that I have no cash, no savings, nothing that is not frozen or encumbered. Frank is still looking at me. You have the house. I blink at my husband's brother virginia randy's getting married next month he and courtney will be back from st bart's on the first they were thinking on building on a piece of property i have behind mccollin manor but-well randy's always loved your house he likes old houses you know big old white houses with lots of character characters very important to randy he should get one then i think (laughs) and those trees those big oaks lining the street out front remember how he and deb used to play in those trees they never played together in those trees randy took off his pants and threw rocks at cats from the fourth oak on the right while debbie stayed up in her room reading something called the bell jar (laughs) now i could arrange to have rand and court in there by well call it the fifteenth new paint new rugs lorraine's got some ideas about the master bedroom I go home to the house on Bray Barton. I look at the answering machine. The red light says I have six messages. Oh, my God. The first is from Tootie in Boca Raton, saying that George Erskine died when it turned out he was embezzling from his glass factory and that Art Wise was a suicide because of some phony prescription drug deals at the store. What's up with these guys, she says, and hangs up. The second is from Danny who says we have to have a meeting and he's willing to come to the house. The third is from Bob O'Clock's secretary saying Mr. O'Clock wants to see me and he's willing to come to the house. The fourth is from Dino who wants to come to the house with a friend named (laughs) Vinny. The fifth is from Lorraine who knows of an apartment for rent behind the shopping mall parking lot the sixth is from joy do i have any idea of how to make this week's payroll i start upstairs to bed as i go through the hall toward the steps i stop under the front door something sticks out it's a manila envelope shoved halfway through i open the door it's below zero out snow on the lawn ice on the oaks the streets quiet i take the envelope and close the door it's blank i go upstairs to my bedroom into my bathroom and i lock the door ed's hairpieces pieces watch me as i open the manila envelope it's a white piece of paper with letters pasted onto it like a kidnapper's ransom. I have a list of thirteen things about Ed Carpalati. Embarrassing to him and to others. Have one million dollars <laughs> ready by this Friday. Small bills, unmarked, in a suitcase, or I will release the list tell no one. Not surprisingly, it is unsigned. <laughs> George Erskine was embezzling from his own glass factory. Art Weiss was selling prescription drugs under the counter. Ed was, what will they say about my husband? Will they say thirteen things? More? what is it about these men who built their businesses and grew their families and, and constructed fortresses with their bare hands and died so frightened and alone who could never tell their wives their secrets their fears ed was catholic and i am not and that was a bone years ago but i'm beginning to understand some things I am beginning to understand sin, not the mortal sins or the venial sins, but the sin of failure, the secular sin that knows no organized religion. Who do you go to when you've committed that? Your lawyer, your banker, your brother, your godfather? No one absolves failure. No one lights a candle. You go mad. You pray for death and madness, a cow with your mother in a room in Las Vegas. He had run out of ideas, plans, wheeling and dealing. The last place he dreamed of was a land of gamblers in the middle of a desert. I live in my husband's desert now. I owe three times as much money as I thought I had in the world. I am a widow. I'm supposed to be drinking gin and tonics on the terrace of a town home and a Raton with Tootie Bon. I'm a widow, and we are supposed to buy new cars when our husbands die. I have not told Tootie. I want so badly to tell my friend Tootie. I lay out my silver, my crystal, my china, my jewelry, everything I have on the dining room table. I don't know where I can sell it quickly but I do know it won't even come close to what I need. Not for Bob O'Clock or Dino or Frank or whoever wrote this note. This note, Friday is two days away. There are 46 messages on the answering machine. I do not return any of them. I have not told a soul. I have not told a soul. I am screaming so slowly, so dimly, so that no one can hear me. When did I meet my husband? Why can't I remember where and when I met my husband? I pick up the phone and call Tootie Vaughn and Boca Raton. We trade bits and pieces back and forth, who's sick, who's dead. Why, Tootie always seems to know more about what's going on back home than anyone who actually lives here. Then, I ask her my question. She says she hasn't a clue where I met Ed. (laughs) Then, I fall apart. And I tell her everything. Did you notice this cane? It belonged to my Aunt Stella. I took care of Stella in her last few years, about the time that Ed bought the house and Debbie was teething. Stella was a crazy old drunk who had one eye, smoked cigars, and drank gin from a bucket. (laughs) In pictures, she looks like an ancient female pirate in a wheelchair. Wild white hair, a toothless grin behind her black eye patch. Debbie says she looked like the illegitimate daughter of Miss Havisham and the Hathaway Shirt Man. (laughs) I think I actually got that one. (laughs) Stella her came in the nursing home that day they took her in. I said, Stella, now you hold on to this. You may need it. She shook her head and winked her one eye at me. Keep it in a safe place for later. You'll need it. I like this. I won't sell this. It's amazing how all the deadlines come on the same day. The bank's deadline, Smith trucking, Frank, the note. I'm sitting here in my sunroom at 8.30 AM, waiting for the hordes to descend upon my door. It helped to tell Judy about everything, about the list, and she promised not to tell a soul. I am frightened, but I am ready. I have my cigarettes, my cane, and my answering machine. Let them come. The first call comes at 9 a.m. Jenny, Bob <laughs> O'Clock here. Hi. Say, um, I understand there's a there's a G willikers, uh, a kind of... I kind of list somebody's got about Ed and some of his, uh, his, his feeling and dealing and, and well, well, Jen, I, I just want you to know that I'm sure that whatever is in that list is a darn pack of lies <laughs> and, and the bank, the bank will certainly do anything it can to make sure it isn't an embarrassment to you or to anyone else. We will. We'll do anything. I'll do anything. Anything. Don't worry about the loan. Just, just keep it to yourself. And then he hung up. The next call came at 10.42. Yo, Chin. Dino here. Hey, this list thing. What do you say we call it even, huh? Square 100, don't call back. I hate these fucking things. The last call came before dinner. Virginia, Frank here. Long pause. Randy and Courtney will be living at home for the foreseeable future. Call me if you need. Tootie Vaughn says hello. (laughs) Tootie. Tootie's blabbed to everybody. And the idea of that list has scared them off. What's in that list? What kind of dealings did Ed have with, with Bob, with Dino, with Frank, with whomever? For the rest of Friday, I wait for another demand from the author of that note. But it does not come that Friday, or the next Friday, or the Friday after that. Within a month, we began to dissolve the business, sell off assets. Since the loans have been forgiven and the creditors quieted, Danny says, I'll actually have some money to invest, to retire on, to buy a new car. I don't need a new car. At the office, Joy handles most of the real work. I just sign the papers. The last one I sign, I say to her, I'm recognizing Cuba. (laughs) Joy doesn't know what in the hell I'm talking about. (laughs) I'm flying to Wisconsin tonight to babysit the twins, but first I had to come here to the funeral home. Another service. Somebody dies every day. Joy offered to drive me. We're a little early and she insists on coming in to wait with me in the smoking lounge. I say I have my cane and a copy of *A bell jar, so I'm fine, but she says she wants to keep me company and she seems a little odd, so I don't say no. We've never been close. Joy was in love with my husband, so that made it strange. So we sit in silence. Finally, the last viewing begins. I stand up and Joy is holding out a manila envelope, just like the one that was slipped under my door. It's from Mr. Carpalotti, she says. And then she walks away, quickly. I wait until Mary Margaret Walsh and the rest of the mourners have gone into the parlor inside is a list. One, I have never loved any other woman but you. Two, I cannot look at your hand without wanting to hold it. Three, I wanted to build you a house but you loved the one on Grey Barton so much the day we drove by I never had a chance to change your mind. Four, in my wallet I keep a picture of you when you were 10 years old. I fall in love with you again, every time that I see it. Five, I think about you every night before I go to bed so I can dream of you in my sleep. Six, my friend Irma Goes West was the best movie I never saw. (laughs) Seven, I have always understood our child more than she could ever imagine. Eight, we met at the Green Mill Luncheonette on February 22nd, 1968. Nine, I am writing this in St. Joseph's Hospital. I am less scared than tired. 10, I have made mistakes. Eleven but I think this last plan will work. (laughs) Joy has my instructions. twelve. You could never keep your mouth shut. I knew you would tell Tootie Vaughn about the list and she would tell the world. thirteen Mary had a little lamb. I don't believe it, you can't see what I'm Oh, okay. oh, okay. okay.